Hi, I'm James Schillinglaw aboard Seaborne Venture, and we're here in Greenland. It's been a great Greenland Arctic cruise, and I'm only about three days into it, but yesterday I went on one of the excursions, the kayaking excursion. I've done kayaking before, but this is really a great way to do it here uh, in Greenland with these folks. I'm here with Rob and Brandon who are part of the expedition team and they specialize, one of the things they specialize in is kayaking. We're gonna to talk to them about both my experience and what they offer to guests and a whole lot more on Insider Travel Report. Now, first of all, I'm gonna ask each of you to introduce yourself. Uh, Rob, what's your full name? Uh, Robert Eaglestaff. Okay, and Brandon? Brandon Payne. Okay, so you guys are really, you know, some of the team that's responsible, and I went out with you, Rob, yesterday. Uh, a marvelous experience, and I have, as I said, I have done kayaking, but that was just a, a great fun. Now, why should guests strongly consider kayaking while on an expedition on Seabourn? I believe it's just a slightly different experience. Um, they used to, going out on the Zodiacs, they used to ship cruising these beautiful environments. But kayaking really brings you as close to nature as you can possibly get. It's silent, um, you're the sort of captain of your own craft in a way, you're going on your own little mini missions within our overall overarching mission. Um, you sort of feel things and hear things that you may not pick up on if you're flying by on a Zodiac doing That's 15 true. knots or doing 18 knots on Seaborne Venture. Absolutely. Now, now Rob, same, t same question. I mean, why do you think, and, I, you, and we're going to talk a little bit, Rob gave a great presentation about why he really fell in love with ta ta kayaking, but we're going to talk about that at the end. So Rob, why do you think guests should really do a kayaking adventure here? I think um, I would agree with what uh, Brandon said, but I think there are a number of different reasons, almost dimensions to the experience. And um, what is special about Greenland is, of course, it was the cradle um, where kayaks were not necessarily invented, they were invented in Siberia. And then uh, with the migration across the north of Canada, they were necessary in order for the Aboriginal people to go out and live in this harsh environment so as hunting craft for sea mammals um, but in Greenland particularly West Greenland where we are now and where you went kayaking yesterday they developed they refined the kayak design and in effect they um, really built the Ferrari of kayaks Wow. I guess we were in the Ferraris yesterday of those kayaks, but but you know one of the things that I think guests get up and is is kayaking really for everyone? Uh, I know there was some trepidation by some on, and I was surprised of, of the age range that went on the expedition yesterday. Uh, but is is kayaking really? Is there any limit based on physical ability? I mean, who shouldn't go kayaking, Brandon? We like to operate our program in a way that everyone is included. Um, we often get questions: What happens if I can't swim? What happens if I don't have upper body strength? And it's designed to be all inclusive. Um, we have top of the range gear, life jackets, dry suits, everything you need to stay safe. Mm -hmm. So even people who don't necessarily have to be able to swim can, can come paddling with us. We're there to keep you safe. We've got two guides on the water at all times, plus a safety zodiac. So we'll be trailing along and making sure everyone's safe. It's pretty much for everyone, any yeah. age group. And you would have seen it yesterday. Yeah. A, a large range of people, some people who have never done it before. It's their first time paddling. And then we obviously introduce them to 
into the sport and take it a little bit slower and some people who have been kayaking their whole life yeah. in which case we tend to try and help them with technique and that kind of thing but part of our job and part of the operation is mixing those two groups together in a fluid way that creates a paddle that's still enjoyable for all no that may say now rob what would you say to someone who might be a little bit nervous a little bit a little bit of trepidation about going kayaking well, I think the first thing you have to ascertain as to whether they actually have some sort of um, past trauma or so they've actually got something that's a real psychological barrier. But apart from that, there's no reason why anyone shouldn't go. And the sort of questions that Brandon was answering there, where they're concerned about their physical strength. I mean, possibly if they're really weak or they're particularly large, it could be a constraint. But uh, most people of reasonable fitness can um, can go kayaking, and they always, the question we always get asked is, um, "Are we going to capsize?" Oh wow! <laughs> you might have even heard that well, being well, asked then, yourself. Well, then of course you, you, show also, you also ended up showing videos of, and we saw a demonstration of rolling kayaks, yeah. which which I think scared a little a few of the people because they saw like, oh my God, is that you can actually do that, right? Yeah, well, it was essential for those craft when the Inuit went out hunting. They had to be able to roll. They're actually sewn in the kayaks, so they couldn't get out because shock cord and Velcro and such. Yeah, well, we're, almost, we're not quite sewn in the kayaks, but it's still it's, it's interesting. The thing is, we haven't had a capsize, and Brandon and myself have worked together for you know many trips, taken thousands out, and um, every so often we do um, a practice. So we practice rescues and scenarios and so on. And we've been in the kayaks that you were paddling in and yeah. the guests use, and we've deliberately tried to capsize them. And it's not easy. Not easy. I mean, it, it, um, you need to get them, what we say, up on the rail. Right. So you need to have a movement of more than 90 degrees before they'll go over. Well, that's, that's, well, that's good. Good, good to hear. Good well, to hear. this is the sort of thing I would <laughs> say to guests that uh, to reassure them. Yeah. And in normal circumstances, um, they're not going to capsize. No, that's great to hear. That's it? very reassuring. I mean, they're real user-friendly craft, so they're very stable um, from a tippy point of view. They're also stable from what um, boat builders will call tracking, okay. which is the ability of the boat to hold a line in the water. Okay. So they're not like um, a whitewater river boat that's got um, rocker on the keel line, so it's designed to turn. Um, the sea kayaks we use are designed to go in a straight line. Yeah, so we're not we're not doing slaloms out in an Olympic no, course no, or something exactly. like that. Now, uh, uh, Brandon, what what is the, the the experience you really want to deliver to guests what, uh, on these kayaking expeditions? Yeah, something unique. Um, we tend to try and find waters that haven't been explored by the rest of the ship. So we try and head away from the landing site we try and get away from where the zodiac crews are happening there's always time after our kayak trip to do that as well so we're always trying to head elsewhere um, wildlife generally plays a large part in what we are after it's an arctic fox oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we on this trip uh, on this last trip we've been very lucky we've been seeing a lot of wildlife we've seen arctic foxes on almost every paddle and i think it's largely just because of our silent approach and the fact that we are getting into little nooks and crannies along coastlines that a lot of the other uh, zodiacs and, and that kind of thing aren't heading to. Um, kayaks, as you're moving along in our group of 16 paddlers and eight double kayaks, it's, it's a pretty silent operation. The zodiac that we have hangs way back and um, 
a lot of the a lot of the wildlife is either curious and inquisitive because of our silent approach they don't really know what we are sometimes yeah. um we we're pretty convinced that they actually really like us um <laughs> are you, we, yeah. we, we seem to have a lot of really really whales. unbelievable encounters. we've had whales we we've had whales yeah, it's yeah. A, it's unbelievable and, and i think it's largely down to our silent approach and we just out of the ordinary we're here in greenland there's lots of local boat traffic flying around mm. a lot of these areas where we are and then suddenly these 10 stealthy kayaks just come gliding down a coastline and i think a lot of the wildlife just the other day we had arctic fox pop its head over the hill to to try and figure out what on earth is going on so i i love the wildlife aspect of it that's that's my goal on a lot of the paddles now let's talk about yesterday i was with you rob and we went uh kayaking out there and we went by these cliffs it was amazing and actually we saw a lot of birds i mean there was a ton of birds like that there was a bird cliff above us uh one of the drawbacks to that sometimes is you've got to sort of keep your mouth closed or something bob and weave but tell us a little bit about that experience yesterday what we did uh, well, the first thing we did was um, we launched by a waterfall and then we went round by a bit of glacial ice. It's a big iceberg that had been washed by the sea and uh, we then went into this incredible bird cliff. And there were quite a few varieties there. So there were kittiwakes in abundance, mm-hmm. common gulls, and there were also some guillemots, black guillemots with their red feet. And they're just starting to, um, they've laid their eggs, and so there are a few chicks popping their heads up. Yeah, that was amazing. And um, obviously you need to, um, they're going to deposit on you, to put it politely. Well, it's funny, because you were out there running sort of, you know, what do you call it, like sweeper, and, and your, your, par- your partner Nate was right by the cliff, and he got, he got, he got hit a few times. Yeah, well, they got naming for him, so, uh, <laughs> so the, the thing is, I also saw and i'll show you um some photos i took i noticed that there was an incredible um pattern wriggly pattern of colors and shapes on the water so i went out and i took some photographs of the cliff reflected with the kayakers kind of suspended in the middle and the interesting thing as we went on we saw some incredible rock formations they're very ancient rocks over three million years old here Um, igneous rocks that have been folded and twisted and there was a big agate you might remember like Mm -hmm. a giant's eye I remember that I was like well how did that get formed some and some some extraordinary shapes and um, I started thinking because we are removed from um, modern stimulus you know the internet and social media and so on Uh, we're back in it now of course but when we're out there you kind of think of the ancient people who would travel those ways and they created art and they 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 were very inventive creative people and i think the landscape actually stimulates stimulates that creativity and there was one piece of rock that was folded that looked like um, a hider which are the aboriginal people of british columbia and they did this stylized art focused particularly on ravens for example certain animals the bear eagles and you could see an eye and a beak and it was very reminiscent of um artwork produced by first nations people i could see that it looks like it was like hung on the cliff right there that was amazing and i took um a picture of it and you know it brings to mind that and also i mean we have movies but when you look at the reflection of the water on some of the cliffs it's like a movie and um, so that was in effect their entertainment their stimulus because we are 
as humans we're a species that searches for stimulus mm. we need stimulus well, certainly we got stimulated yesterday <laughs> or like that and it was a really fun occasion now uh how long have you been uh doing expeditions for seaborne and actually overall brandon i started with seaborne in 2017 midway through 2017. Okay. i started off doing this itinerary up in the arctic um, and northern europe areas mm -hmm. and then later that year went down to antarctica for the first time and have been doing it ever since alternating between antarctica and the arctic and you love this area right? i love it for some reason the polar regions have just drawn me in i think it's something about the the ruggedness and you've you've got to be on your toes it's constantly changing yeah it, it is amazing it, now, now same question for you rob how long have you been doing both expeditions and how long have you been with seaborne you want to know that, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's a secret and we can't tell. Well, it's, it's bearing in mind that I'm a time lord. So I, <laughs> I just loved the outdoors and I loved kayaks from, from a child. But I was also loved mountains and I worked in outdoor education full time for my career. And when I stopped working full time, I still needed to have a challenge. And I started working for Seaborne around about the same time as Bran, a little bit later. And um, we first worked together in Antarctica in 2017. And we've worked together on and off since then. Yeah, and well, you had a few days, off, a few years off because of COVID, but that was it. Yeah. yeah, but you see, when you use the word expedition, this is an expedition ship. It's a cruise ship, but it's an expedition style ship. An expedition, in my experience, going back in my life has been my own expeditions where myself and friends have come up to these regions. We tried to find remote places and in kayaks or on land or on skis or in sailing boats, we would make a journey from two weeks to a month or even longer sometimes, living on the land and being close to the land. And I bring that experience mm -hmm. and to the expedition. I think you've been to one of my lectures. I did, I, opening day, I went to your lecture and you were, we're gonna talk about that because I wanna, we're gonna talk finally sure. about kayaking. So you really, what is it about kayaking that you like so much? I think, I like the simplicity of um, many of the outdoor activities. So climbing, just putting on a pair of rock shoes and climbing up a cliff um, with a rope, <coughs> but not necessarily. <coughs> and a simple craft like um, a kayak or a canoe. I used to like windsurfing and sailing in small craft. I think that's the simplicity. So you're using um, the powers of nature, the wind and the flow of water or the slope of snow or the, the rough rock to move around in the landscape. And like Brandon, I mean, wildlife is, you know, an important part of that. And there isn't the abundance in the Arctic, but when you see wildlife, it's very special. And the more time you spend, the more time you kind of work out how it's all connected and how the movement of the animals, like we watch seagulls and we managed to watch them for a little while from our kayaks and see where their nest was. And so we're using our experience for our own private expeditions when we're on this expedition ship to use that experience to try and give the guests something like that. So we spotted a nest and using a long camera lens and binoculars, we were able to see the chicks getting close without disturbing them and that's a really magic moment no it was absolutely a magic moment yeah in the kayak team between ourselves we often talk about and we we kind of when we do our familiarization we talk about creating the magic 
in kayaking and and the ingredients are we have to have time to uh, scout and find more remote places without in the intrusion of noise or development or something which is the first step yeah no and actually in fact you did scout out well before and you went out and found that area that first one now same uh, uh brandon for you i mean what is it about kayaking that you like so much i think with the wildlife encounters especially it's it's all the more rewarding um you you having the encounter sometimes it feels like you're on your own so you're sitting in the kayak and yes, there are kayaks in the general vicinity, but you feel like you're by yourself. Right. And for me, I've always loved um, these kind of activities because you feel at one with the wild. Right. Um, you feel like you're remote and you're really out there by yourself in a way. So every encounter on the kayak, for me, it just gets even more special because it, you feel like you're the first one to have seen it. Yeah, it is it yeah. absolutely true and you feel very alone out you can it's yeah. very quiet and even though you do have a partner uh you, you know you, you can you, you just to be silent and listen to nature now i have a one last question for you rob i heard a rumor that you tried to recreate shackleford's expedition and go with kayaking is that true but that i tried it yeah. i did it you did it <laughs> okay you, you succeeded yeah so um i i uh, completed a number of expeditions, but um, what attracted me to the Shackleton boat journey when the Endurance was sunk, and then he went to um, raise help to rescue his men from Elephant Island and sailed 800 miles across the Southern Ocean to South Georgia. And it was described as the greatest open boat journey ever made. And that title kind of attracted me. And I remember reading the story as a kid, and I couldn't have shown you on a map of the world where it happened. I mean, I knew it was Antarctica somewhere. But I, what stuck in my mind was how Shackleton overcame every obstacle that he came across. Some way or another, he found a way around or around over and so on. So that appealed to me. So I kind of revisited it um, and found that no one had ever repeated it. And it's not surprising because if you read the original accounts, the hair on the back of your neck stands on end, and it, it's um, and he had to do it in order to survive. Yeah. And we chose to do it, but we spent a good year, year and a half, um, rationalising the trip, and we built a replica. The original is still exists, and is on display, permanent display, in his old school, Dulwich College in South London and we took boat builders down and they measured it up and we um, commissioned a replica but we made it stronger and whereas he his was decked with um, plywood bovril cases you know bovril's a meat drink that they had in those days and they were sponsored by bovril and he used the packing cases to deck it okay. um, and we made it much more substantial you weren't sponsored by bovril right uh, we were tempted, <laughs> but you see there was the Shackleton hooch, which was um, equal parts of bovril, dark, dark um, rum, and um, it was all kind of mixed up together, and um, that's what they uh, used to... So, so how long did it take you? Well, it took the, us, because the boat was a replica, funnily enough, and the things don't change. The only thing that changes in the Southern Ocean is the temperature. So the frequency of gales and everything is the same all the year round. And so it actually took us the same time to get to South Georgia. But then he had a northerly wind and had to tack, as they call it in sailing, where you zigzag into the wind. And it took him another couple of days to get in. 
and we had a northerly wind and we couldn't get in where we wanted to, where he started. So we ended up having to very carefully with a drogue, that's a kind of parachute in the water and a small sail in the front, small jib, sail round and we might eventually managed to sail along the north coast. And how many days was that total? So the, the whole thing was 14 days to make okay, the crossing and then we spent another three or four days getting in. He spent another two or three days getting in to the shore. Oh wow, that's an amazing story. Now, are any, any truth to the rumor that's going to become a seaborne expedition soon next year? Oh, we hope. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> we followed it though. We yeah. followed, the, we followed similar routes. Our expedition was called In the Wake of Shackleton okay. and we have followed In the Wake and I provided commentary and given presentations. So I'm sharing my past experience I describe myself because we do a little introduction to guests and I say I'm and we're told to kind of let them know why you're here you know why is Seaborn why has Seaborn brought you here or asked you to come here <laughs> it's not a slave ship is it <laughs> no, no, as far as I know no. No. so um so I say um that I'm here because of the crazy things I did when I was younger and then I try and share that and people come over and ask me about things I've done and and so that enhances their experience. Well that's an amazing story and I want to thank you for sharing it here with us so you can come on board and, and meet Rob and talk to him about that experience come on board meet Brandon and talk about all of his experience in expedition. I want to thank you both for taking the time uh, to talk to us about kayaking but really about expeditions in general again uh, I had a marvelous time yesterday I'm looking forward maybe I'll do it another time we still have another week and a half left to the cruising so maybe I'll go, I gotta get back out there so again thank you so much pleasure thanks so much for joining us yesterday thanks very much get you out again absolutely thank you Rob. thank you i'm james Schillinglaw, and this is insider travel report